You're listening to a Stranger podcast, www.thestranger.com. Hey everybody, welcome to another installment of the Savage Lovecast. I'm Dan Savage, and this is the Once a Week Out Loud podcast version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. Before we get to your multitudinous calls, uh, I have to give a shout out to my good friend, Alexander Wolf, who writes uh, Wolf's Den, a column at Information Week. Uh, Wolf wrote a column this week about podcasting, which he writes was famously born in 2000 when Tristan Lewis, Dave Winner, and former MTV VJ and legend in his own mind, Adam Curry, variously crystallizing the concept of creating a market for audio files and kind of RSS feeds, blah, blah, blah. And he's declaring podcasting dead. Uh, Alexander Wolf is very disappointed in podcasting and in people who download podcasts and listen to podcasts. Because, as he writes, I expected to find, when he went to see what the most popular podcasts out there were, I expected to find Dignation and Leo Lapatori's or Laporti's, the tech guys, as the, top, as the top audience grabbers. Instead, I see it's stuff like Dan Savage's Savage Love Podcast, Yoga, Amazing, and Ask a Ninja. So it seems that the audience for podcasts has disappointed Alexander Wolf, and therefore Alexander Wolf has decided that podcasts are dead, over, failed, because they're not quite as tech geeky as Alexander Wolf himself. So you've been very naughty, you podcast listeners obsessed with sex and yoga and putting tough questions to ninjas. And I, I'm not upset or hurt by this uh, this column by Alexander Wolf holding up Savage Lovecast as an example of the death of podcasting. Because my sex advice column, Savage Love, has been held up for years as the death of newspapers, the death of sex, the death of love. I've been told so many times that my sex advice column has set the gay rights movement back 50 years. Uh, that if I had to serve all those 50 years of setting back concurrently, it would be somewhere around 50,000 BC for the gay and lesbian civil rights movement at this point. So I'm used to this. I'm used to being cited as an example of uh, the stupidity of everything everywhere uh, and the death of everything everywhere. Uh, but I, but I have to say I'm a little hurt. Well, no, I'm not hurt. I'm not hurt. I'm I'm feeling a little defensive to be held up as an example of the, the end of podcasts just because a lot of people want to listen to me talk about sex. It's the end of podcasts. I don't know. You know, I want to say to Alexander, you know, I want to say, you know, people are downloading my podcast because sex is important and sex is a part of life and you're clearly dead from the waist down. That's why my podcast doesn't appeal to you. But you know what? Sex has universal appeal. Right? Tech Geek podcasts, believe it or not, Alexander Wolf at Information Week, do not have universal appeal. So I have this advantage when I'm out there peddling my podcast as I'm talking about sex, and sex appeals to everybody, and tech, info, geekery, behind the scenery, shit does not. So maybe we can all just get along. Maybe we can recognize there's going to be a big audience for sex podcasts, and not so big audience for tech podcasts uh but it's it's not the end of this new medium it's just a big happy shared environment uh and we can all uh enjoy it while it lasts and not accuse innocent well-meaning sex advice professionals of having murdered this new medium hi dan um i am a 22 year old bi female and i have been involved in a bdsm poly relationship for four years my parents found out a couple of years ago uh, when they snooped and found out a lot of graphic stuff. 
and I've had problems with them ever since, um, including therapy, interventions, stuff like that. Um, anyway, the conclusion of all of this has been that I'm happy and healthy, and this is really their problem, not mine. I've been living with my poly family for a year. My father knows, and my mom doesn't. I'm really tired of lying to my mom, um, and I'm having really strained relations with my father. So I guess my question for you is... Um, how do I go about having a normal relationship with my family where I can have Thanksgiving dinner with them and have them be happy that I'm happy? Um, I'm sure they'll get over it in time, but what do I do in the meantime? Thanks. Okay, Bailey, I just listened to your message, and I have a quick follow-up question for you. Okay. Is there something about your uh, BDSM poly relationship that is manifest on your person at all times that would prevent you from having dinner with your family without it being front and center? No. So you don't, like, wear a dog collar or have to sit on the floor whenever your masters are around or anything? No, nothing like that. So what's the issue? The issue is that my family, I think, just can't get images out of their head, mainly. Um, I haven't quite been able to figure out why myself, but... Why they can't do that for you? Yeah. Well, I think you should have a confrontation with your dad, then, if he's the only one who knows right now. Mm-hmm. And you should ask him what it is he likes to do in bed. Do you like to eat pussy? Do you ever lick your mom's asshole? Um, you know, he never get tied up ever. Like, what was it that really turned his crank, or still does turn his crank? And then tell him that you don't have a right to know that, and right. that you assume that there are things that turn his crank, and you put them out of your mind, which is right. what people do for their parents, and what parents do for their children. We assume each other, you know, we assume our parents are sexual beings, they assume we're sexual beings, but there are things we just pretend we either don't know if we should find them out, or we just don't inquire or dwell on if we don't know for sure what they are. And he has to extend that courtesy to you. He knows things about your sex life. He doesn't have a right to know. Right. And he has to now suspend his disbelief and pretend he doesn't know them because they're none of his business and they're destroying your relationship. Yeah. Oh, and actually my my mother is aware of my relationship situation. She just doesn't know that I've actually moved in with the family. Okay, well then you just need to be out about it and tell them to get mm-hmm. the fuck over it. I mean, you're not facing anything that you're not facing anything that the gays haven't faced a million times, right. which is where you look in your parents' eyes if they're having trouble with it, and you see them picturing you ass in the air with a big dick going in and out of it. <laughs> and the you know the only thing that burns that out is repeated exposure. Yeah. You know, eventually they get sick of that mental image. And eventually they've seen you so many times that they're used to that mental image. Okay. And if you're me with your parents, you say, you know what? I'm sure my straight brothers eat pussy. Do you picture that every time you look at them? No. Right. Can you do me the same favor of not picturing cock down my throat every time you look at me? I bet you can if you try. Right. And, I mean, that makes some sense. I think the real problem with my family is they haven't... One, they can't get the image out of their head, but two, they're really viewing it as a, not even a bedroom issue, but as a, you know, their daughter is disturbed and being held against her real and forced to do all these things, and I just, you know, you I just guess need, time will. You just need to give them a book on BDSM and say, if you're really concerned, you should read this. Okay. It's just a kink, it, it, and it's none of your business, and I'm sure you guys have your own. Yeah. I don't want to know what they are. <laughs> And if, you know, if it's really damaging your relationship, if it's really making it impossible, I think sitting down all three of you with a kink-positive therapist who can be, you know, an independent, Mm -hmm. uh, disinterested third party and walk your parents through what this is 
which is an elaborate cops and robbers for grown ups with your pants off and none of their business. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Then you can declare it, you know, subject closed, case closed. Okay. No more dwelling on this, leave us alone. Okay. Well, it sounds like. But it's up to you. I mean, you're going to have to lead your parents to that. Right. That makes sense. So hopefully yeah, they're freaking out about BDSM will encourage you to be, you know, critical and view critically people who want to abuse you to make sure that you're separating the consensual, let's have fun, we're both enjoying this abusers from the actual mm-hmm. abusers, which can sometimes be a challenge for people in the BDSM scene, right? Right, yeah. But Definitely can. But they need to knock it the fuck off. Okay. <laughs> I will... Um... Tell them I said so. Yeah, I will tell them. Damn Savage says. <laughs> okay, talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Hey, hey, Dan, this is Dave uh, calling you from Orange County, California. Hey, I'm with my friend right now, and she told me the story about this guy she met at her work, and apparently after some long conversations, he, he told her that he would really be into it if she took a shit in his mouth. Now, I never heard of anything like this. And I'm just wondering, is this something that would be safe to do for either person, especially for him? Um, thanks for answering my question. That would be great. The biggest risk here, it's a choking hazard. There are also certain diseases you have to watch out for, all the crazy hepatitises, uh, and a list that I can't even pronounce. Cryptosuporifidelica, shigalosiasis, campylactobacticiosis, ambiosis. Just Google it. You'll find a terrifying list of words with so many syllables in them, diseases with so many syllables in them, that just reading them makes you feel like you need to wash your hands and brush your teeth. It's not safe. Some people have this shit thing. What can you do um, besides not shit in their mouth if that's not something you want to do? Uh, but people are going to do what people want to do, and people are going to take risks uh, to live out their sexual fantasies, however crazy they are. Uh, and it doesn't sound like the girlfriend, your this friend of yours who's a girl, was too into this idea. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who've done it and lived to tell the tale that nobody really wants to hear. Here's my question. I am 24 years old. I'm single. I'm straight, and I haven't had sex in quite a while, and that's not really my issue. My issue is I've had um, five uh, partners, and um, in, within those, with those five partners, I've never once had a this-is-what-turns-me-on conversation, what, is ter- what turns you on conversation. A lot of that, I think, deals with the fact that I was um, kind of shy and young and didn't know what I wanted. And after being in a very long, dry spell, I've kind of realized what I'm interested in. And I, um, what I want to experiment with when I finally do meet a guy that I want to have sex with. Um, but I don't know how to have that conversation. How do you, how do you have those types of conversations, um, without, yeah, over coffee, over lunch, over dinner, how many dates in? I, I don't know. Have the conversation as foreplay. You have that conversation while you're making out. Uh, it's a bit of a verbal uh, and sexual striptease, an erotic striptease, where you're revealing things about yourself uh, in exchange uh, for them, for, for their revealing things to you about themselves and their sexual interests. Uh, you might find out something about your partner during that verbal foreplay that uh, is a deal breaker or turns you off. Better to know that. Uh, before you march down the aisle than to find it out after the honeymoon. Uh, and you might reveal something that, that isn't a turn-on for them. And if they're not 
you know, so attracted to you that they're willing to go there if they're not into it, then you want to be rid of them anyway. So you need to be confident. Uh, you need to own the things that turn you on. And you need to present them in an upbeat, fun way. Uh, a lot of the times, you didn't say what your kinks were, but a lot of the times when people talk about things that turn them on, they, they roll them out like they're problems. They, they have a conversation like, I have to tell you something terrible. Uh, I have leukemia. It's how it sounds when what they're saying is I like to be spanked or whatever it is. Um, just make sure when you have this conversation that you roll it out like, guess what? Being with me sexually means you get to do these fun, crazy things. Don't roll it out like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I apologize. Oh, I'm a lady and I'm always apologizing for my sexual interests because I'm not supposed to have any. That's what the culture tells me. Um, and so if you're with me, I might actually require you to do these things. I hope that's not a problem. Don't do it like that. Be aggressive and uh, be upbeat. And uh, it's Christmas. These are your presents. Not... It's leukemia, and these are your tumors. Hi, Dan. My name is Melissa. I'm from Pennsylvania, and I'm in a I'm in a relationship um, with well, let's just say he's a Jesus freak. He's a big old Jesus loving jock, and me, I'm kind of a an ex punk, you know, alternative sort of a girl, artsy fartsy, and all that. And um, I'm I'm never going to be as Jesusy as he is. Um, and the thing is, is that we work really well together in bed. And I want your opinion. Is that enough to make a long-term relationship last? Is sex enough? Will sex get you through the hard times? I just don't know. So uh, I just listened to your call. So you're, you're fucking a Jesus freak. So he's obviously not that Jesus freakery if he's having premarital sex. Right. How does he reconcile his Jesus freakery with his getting it on with you freakery? <laughs> I don't, I'm not really sure what, what goes on on the inside. I don't know if he just relegates that to the sin folder or what. Um, he. But you're I, happy to keep getting what goes on on the outside. Heck yeah. He's really awesome. Is he? Is he hot? He's really hot. Um, he actually played professional soccer. <gasps> oh, my God. You have to send me a picture of his ass <laughs> in exchange well, for this advice. marathon, too. Oh, my God. You have to send me two pictures of his ass. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Uh, sex is really important and sex for some people is a great foundation mm -hmm. and then you know if the sex is great and you guys establish this really great physical bond you can move closer together emotionally because you have an incentive to yeah. and he may have an incentive to let go of some of his Jesus freakery or be less you know Jesus freakery dickery about it <laughs> I mean is he trying to convert you well, you know, I, I think that we, we had such different backgrounds, um, and he really grew up in this ultra-conservative, you know, he's from Kansas, for heaven's sake. Um, <laughs> and I think that he's still got, even though we're both 30, he's still got his, his list of, of the qualities that, you know, the, that women should have if, if they're going to be, you know, potential life partners. And you're not on that list. I, I, well, you know what? He's not on mine either. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the problem? Why are you worried about the long-term possibilities of this relationship if it's just a temporary fuck buddy, it's not hottie, 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 hottie sex with it's the marathon running former really professional not. soccer player who you have to send me pictures of his ass of? He, um, I never have felt this, um, I don't know. He puts his arm around me and I feel like, gosh, this is my mate. Um, I was married. I never felt like this with my husband. Um, we have the same long-term goals. Just because I'm not Jesus-y does not mean that I'm evil. I mean, you know, I want a family, and I, I, have, I have good, you know, strong 
family values. It sounds like you're having this conversation with the wrong Christian. person. Have you said these things to him? Yeah. What does he say? He um he agrees. I mean, but I think I think he's just I think he's just worried that that the sex is the only thing that we've got in common, and that it's there's going to come a day where. I don't know where it's just it's just not going to be enough. And you know what? I actually don't mind so much. I think he minds more, but I think he's growing out of it. I think that he would be more apt to mind it in the long run. To like mind I, your lack of Jesus for agree? Right. It bothers so your uh, secularism bothers him more than his Jesus for agree bothers you. That's correct. Is his ass worth? You know, going through the motions, not faking, you know, Jesus freak or yourself, not telling him that you believe things you don't believe, but going to church. You know, there's a lot of husbands out there who go through the motions to who go through the motions to appease and mollify their much more religious female spouses. Oh yeah, I'm already doing that. Oh, you're already going to church with them? Yeah. What's I really, I really don't mind, but I think that it, it bothers him that I'm not that I'm not there worshiping with him. Mm-hmm. I'm just there for him and to support him. I don't know. Is that enough? How long have you been dating him? Four months. Four months. Okay. God, I'm sorry. I, I hate Jesus freaks who are all Jesus freaky, but have premarital sex, <laughs> which, you know, they're not supposed to do. <laughs> That's why they're always yelling at the gays that we're not supposed to have sex at all, period, ever, because we can never be married. Therefore, all our sex is premarital and we're going to hell and roasting on spits. Um, so, you know, hot Jesus freaks who are having premarital sex, I just want to fuck them myself personally just to fuck some sense into them um, this is unresolvable the only person who can resolve this is the person who's not on the phone yeah and I would tell you though that if you really like him that the only thing that can convince him that you're the one even if you're never going to achieve the les- you know the thetan level of Jesus Freaker that he's achieved is to keep dating him is to keep hanging out and keep seeing him. You know, maybe he'll live in hell for 30 or 40 years that you will eventually come around and be as big a Jesus freak as he is. And maybe you will. Or or maybe he'll come off it by, you know, continued exposure to you. But there's a, there is a chemical component to love. There are pheromones. There's scent. There's a whole physical chemical thing that works that really bonds people together. Sometimes you know when you've met the one by the way they smell. Because you like how they taste. And, and that can't be just dismissed. And too often religion gets in the way of that kind of intense, physical, chemical love. Um, I asked him, why has God keep sending him heathen girls? What did he say? To test me. That's what God, God, God is just the great test administrator in the sky for some people. <laughs> he, he didn't even mention testing. He actually just, just kissed me. Oh. I have no advice for you. Go to medical school. Keep fucking his brains out. Fuck some sense into him. I actually, I actually wanted to know if you had any experience with this. If you, if you've seen any long-term couples that have had this at the beginning and they just kind of grow into it, or. I have seen people who are religious at the beginning of a relationship, and less so further on into it when they realize what's more important. You know, tell him when, when religion gets in the way of love. Religion is the problem. Yeah. And if he can't come around, you know what else you need to remember? You will have this reaction to more guys than just him. It's not like there's one guy out there who is going to drive you crazy in this way and you're going to feel this bond. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. That that makes me feel better. But don't tell him that and don't leave him until after you take some pictures of his ass or something. (laughs) Done and done. (laughs) Good luck. Hi, um, I'm calling not with a question, but just to uh, to to 
respond to the guy who called um, because his girlfriend had a grammar fetish. I'm I have I have a, a a very similar fetish. I don't like correcting grammar in bed so much as um, hearing and saying um, really interesting words. And so in my bedroom, I keep a, a large collection of, of dictionaries of interesting words. And you would ask uh, him if he could figure out how his girlfriend ended up with this fetish, if he could call. And so I thought I would tell you how I did, which is that I uh, I was an insomniac for a very long time. And um, I, I figured if I was just going to be awake all night, I might as well um, in, enrich myself in some way. And so I took to reading uh, reading the dictionary. And I ended up reading about seven dictionaries, and uh, you can't really just pass the time only reading dictionaries. And so, of course, when you're, you know, a teenager and you have crazy hormones and it's the middle of the night and all that you really have to do is sit around, you know, in your in your bedroom in your parents' house with this dictionary, um, I, I also ended up spending a lot of time uh, masturbating. And so... I guess at some point the wires got crossed somewhere and I sort of associated um, learning really interesting words with uh, uh, sexual release. And so I get really, really aroused by uh, hearing really great words. And um, I guess some of my favorite words are Bellatre, uh, Sesquipedalian, Tingo, Ming Mu, uh, Ta, Rasbliuto. Hi. I just listened to your message. Now, when you yeah, when the you word s- thing? yeah the word thing when you unspooled that list of words that do it for you, were you touching yourself? No. Because you were sort of <laughs> breathing heavy and going slow. Well, you know it's. It's they're they're exciting words. As a general rule, we don't play messages from people who are clearly masturbating while they're recording them, uh, particularly this uh, Alexander Wolf guy who keeps calling. Well, no. <laughs> uh, I, I believe you. I, you know, I believe that your fetish is what it is, and, and, and the way you describe uh, acquiring it seems completely uh, true. It, it, that's just particularly how a fetish can be acquired, sort of this, you know, this association, this link that your you know, erotic imagine makes, hooking up two seemingly random things because of exposure during a crucial period of your adolescence and your, you know, and your, and puberty and your, when you first start masturbating, right? Right, right. Um, so, uh, disestablishmentarianism. Disestablishmentarianism. Does that do anything for you? Um, yeah. <laughs> really? It's it, it it does. It's ridiculous. I mean, it doesn't even it doesn't even have to be anything that contextually makes any any sense whatsoever when you connect it to to sex or arousal. What about it's just campylobacteriosis? <laughs> Not nearly so much. Oh, good, because that's but a disease you a get. That's a disease you get when you eat shit. So I'd hope that wouldn't well, turn you, know, you if, on. If it's if it's a long, complicated, you know, medical term, even then, you know, I I I I I do at the very least get very happy. So, have you found sexual partners who are willing to indulge your word fetish? Um, I found one. And how does uh, word fetish play it. work when you find an indulgent partner? Well, it's 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 like talking dirty, except that you you incorporate. You know, uh, a much broader vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So, um, this is a bit awkward. 
if 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 for you know for example he if if he were to say something like he was going to um, incarnalize me with his odic nibblings, you know I would get really 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 excited. Wow. You need to marry a Brit. Well, I'm 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 marrying an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! An endless sort. Is is he the one who's willing to indulge you? No, actually, that guy was a poet. Oh. And so you know that worked out really well. But it, I mean, it only worked out well for for a really short period of time, and only in the context of that fetish. Mm-hmm. He's the only person who ever you know, like if we weren't going to be able to see each other for a few days, since he knew you know I have 25 dictionaries, he would he would. He would, you know, send me like a text message or something, ask me to to come up with a word for whatever it was that he was feeling, and then I would, you know, the I, w- I would go through the dictionaries and invent a word based on, you know, like legitimate word roots that that summed that up, so that like that would just get me really, really hyped up for the next time that we saw each other. God, you are a sick motherfucker. <laughs> it's really silly, and my 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 fiance. Don't say. You know what? It's all silly. It's all silly. Every, every sexual is. fetish is silly, and you know what's silly? You know what's even sillier? A, a lot of what passes for vanilla intercourse is really silly. I'm going to put is, my tongue yeah. in your mouth. You're going to put your tongue in my mouth. We're going to shove our genitals <laughs> together. You look you ridiculous. Know, you, 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 it feels great you. while you do it. You look ridiculous right after. And if anyone else saw the <laughs> videotape, they'd laugh. It's true. It's true. So don't be embarrassed. Have you broken it to the fiancé that the dictionaries oh, yeah. in your bedroom and aren't a coincidence? You know, we've we've talked about it, you know, uh, a couple of times, and we've done little little bits of stuff here and there. But he, you know, can't he can't do it with a straight face. And the fact of the matter is, I can't really do it with a straight face. There's no, because there's nothing so about, there's nothing about a smile on your face or a little giggle or laughing that is uh, antithetical to an erection or being wet. You know, sex is not some deadly serious business. It ain't brain surgery. You can giggle and snort and keep it up. Right? <laughs> Own your yeah. fetish. So it's weird. And enjoy it. And enjoy it that it's odd and unique. You could just be That's some cute. boring old foot fetishist. No, it's it's definitely it's. I've nev- never met anybody with a with the same thing. Well, you are a very special. Young. I'm trying to think of uh, obscure words, but I never use any. Uh, I don't know. Lady. Not do it for you, lady. Lady, no, not no. really. Is there anything <laughs> I can say that'll spin your crank? Um, concupiscence. Concupiscence. What is that? Concupiscence. It means lust. It means lust. Yep. Wow. Concupiscence. What about cacocracy? Cacocracy. Uh, I'm mispronouncing it. Never mind. Cacophony. No, not cacophony, uh, cacistocracy. It's a rule of society by the worst elements. Yeah, Also yeah. known as the Bush Right up there with the kleptocracy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, cut queen? No, not really. Mm-hmm. No, my, you know, it's, 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 it's word sounds, I think. You know, when you put a whole bunch of sounds together, it just sort of... You know, it's it's a very sensual thing to say a really good word. What is, uh, I, I've been handed this word by the tech savvy at risk youth, calipigian. Calipigian. No, calipigian. Calipigian. Oh, that's familiar. What does it mean? Having shapely buttocks. Ah, calipigian. Calipigian. That's a good one. It is a good one. Calipigian. Don't touch yourself. We don't allow that on the podcast. Okay, no, not on the phone, right? Hands above the waist. <laughs> Well, I have I have a word for you that you could definitely end up using in your column if what's, you're interested. What's that? Rosbliuto. Rosbliuto. Rosbliuto with a U. Rosbliuto. Biuto. Biuto. 
Bronze Didn't she just get assassinated in Pakatan? <laughs> uh, what does that word mean? It means the feeling you have for someone who you used to be in love with but aren't anymore. Wow. Will you email it to me so I have it handy and spelled correctly? Sure. Okay. Uh, awesome. Enjoy your fetish. Thanks for the follow-up call. Thank you. Hey, Dan. Uh, I was actually calling because I hear on the show that you keep endorsing the use of pot. Um, at this point, you know, I'm someone who uh, was born and raised in the third world, born and raised in Mexico, and I was always surrounded by the negative effects of uh, what we could just say is that, like America's glut, America's excessive need for drugs. Um, you know, friend's father uh, owned an AK-47, grew up around that, grew up around having a police officer and his family uh, gunned down in my neighborhood. And I just think you shouldn't be endorsing or telling people to use drugs when they're that damaging to other countries. And I mean, <clears throat> we live in this uh, progressive age where people uh, are so aware of like the problems in Africa, they're so aware of organic, sustainable, all that shit. But when it comes to uh, stuff that uh, affects Mexico or affects uh, South America, then it's uh, something that's completely unimportant. Hello? Hey, it's Dan. Oh, hello, Dan. How are you doing? Pretty well, and yourself? Good. I just listened to your message, and I have to say, honestly, of course, I am full to overflowing with first world white liberal guilt at the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm feeling bad about every puff of marijuana smoke I've ever had in my life. But I want to say that, you know, and I'm sure you know this because you sound like an informed uh, and progressive person if you're downloading my show, much to the consternation of Information Week, uh -huh. that it's prohibition that creates the illegal drug market that creates the violence, that, you know, we've had a war on demand and we've had a war on supply, and the drug war sort of, you know, cycled back and forth between a war on suppliers and a war on users. You know, marijuana arrests for marijuana possession are up by hundreds of thousands in the last few years, and it never makes a dent in demand. So the demand is never... I mean, I could say, don't smoke pot, don't use pot, don't ever touch pot, just like the government, just like Nancy Reagan, and just like George Bush, just like Bill Clinton, just like you know Barack Obama now, and it's nothing's going to change. But see, the one thing that really bugs me here mm -hmm. is that people make such a big deal about knowing where their tomatoes come from, or where, you know... Uh, different things like making sure it's organic, making sure that, you know, there's no cruelty, uh, no abuse involved. Right. But there's like seriously never any questions asked when it comes to this. Well, the problem is with tracing your drugs back to their source is that the source doesn't want to be known generally. And maybe we should start, maybe I could qualify my recommendations when I that recommend pot to people that make sure it's BC Bud, make sure it was grown in the basement of somebody <laughs> uh, that you know. Yeah, like 40% is grown in the U.S., but it's just, you know, that extra percent, which comes from the, like, you know, excessive need, like the excessive blood that a lot of people have here. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, most of the people I've known just consume like crazy. Um, right, and, and there are people who are aware of where their coffee beans come from and where their tomatoes come from, but the vast and overwhelming majority of people don't and don't give a shit. They just want it to be cheap and easily available, whether it's a tomato or whether it's pot, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe we could reach the conscientious pot smokers and put a small dent in, you know, the, the crazy levels of violence that are created by prohibition of marijuana, uh, of recreational drugs that people want. We saw it with alcohol. 
the criminal network supplying alcohol and creating so much havoc and violence disappeared in a day mm-hmm. after prohibition was ended, and we could end the violence by ending prohibition on marijuana. Basically, it's just that, that you know that obviously there's a you know activism subculture trying to get everything you know get on the ball, get everything legalized. But as is, they currently have access, very cheap, you know, without asking any questions as to what's happening about it. And honestly, you know, a lot of the people who are uh, doing this are just really dragging their feet because, you know, it really won't affect them much whether it gets legalized or not. They already have, you know, all the benefits. Because they have all the pot they want without legalization, yeah. like pot's the most widely available drug in the United States. Yeah, by far. And more widely available now than it was before, uh, than it was 30 years ago. Um, well, what would your recommend, recommendation be to, you know, progressive thinking, socially conscious people who use pot? That they, they should abstain or they should make some effort to find out where it comes from? Well, those are two things. I mean, first of all, you know, if people can actually sustain themselves, you know, uh, grow their own. So your recommendation uh, is grow your own. Besides that, I mean, people can just, you know, reduce their degree of consumption because as is, you know, this country produces about as much as, you know, Mexico does or a lot of South American countries. It just consumes everything it produces plus a large quantity of what's produced in other countries. Mm -hmm. So it's like, dude, just settle down, slow down a little bit, (laughs) use less. And, you know, you'll probably be, have a clearer mind and more motivation to get this thing legalized. Well, part of the problem, I mean, part of the problem with the pot subculture is that, you know, there are tons of doctors and publishers, editors, and lawyers who smoke pot, but they're not the ones who are out about it or trying to lead a marijuana reform movement because they don't want to be associated with that slacker, stoner stereotype. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if everybody who smoked pot came out tomorrow about smoking pot, which is normal's big activism campaign, is that more people? Well, it's about nine percent of the population. You know. And you know what? There's a way. There's a way to reduce the violence, and that's to legalize it, regulate it, and tax it. It's the only way to reduce the violence. You know, we could stand on a street corner in the United States in 1930 and say, all this craziness would stop if you would all just stop drinking gin and and and, and whiskey and buying all yeah. this black market booze and that is what the government did and they threw people in jail and they arrested people and gangs shot people and it was all very dire and none of that changed anything the only thing that changes anything when it comes to prohibiting a substance that people want that there is a demand for is legalization and regulation well thanks very much it was really nice chatting with you Oh, great chatting with you. A little bit starstruck. Huge <laughs> podcast. Don't worry about it. Don't be starstruck. I'm just an idiot. Well, have a very good day, sir. You too. All right, we're going to have to leave it there for this week. If you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, the number here, 206-201-2720. And you download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. That's it. I'm going to go try not to smoke any pot and uh, download... Leo Lepatori's The Tech Guys and uh, see what all the fuss is about. Thanks very much. We'll be back at you next week with another podcast.